Attendees, if you're just joining us, just give us a second to let everyone log on and then we'll get started. All right, hello everyone. I'm Rachel Zabonek-Chonko, Editor-in-Chief of Club Solutions Magazine and welcome to our virtual thought leadership series. Um, thank you for making time for today's session sponsored by the Medical Fitness Association. The Medical Fitness Association is a membership organization that provides education, networking, and professional development opportunities to foster the success of medically integrated fitness centers. Be a part of the medical fitness community by joining MFA today. All right, um, thank you MFA, really appreciate your sponsorship. Um, and thank you attendees for tuning in. We have a really awesome panel for today's session. And I'm gonna start by asking each of them to introduce themselves, share a little bit about their organizations and a fun fact about themselves. Um, Rhea, let's start with you. Okay, <laughs> I I'm, I'm the only Canadian on the panel, so I'll represent the entire country, I suppose, today. Uh, I'm Rhea Vogs-Olis and I'm the Director of Health and Fitness at the Refit Center which uh, was the first medical fitness facility in Canada. So um, proud to be part of that. I've worked at a medical fitness facility for 20 plus years. Um, and I guess a fun fact, which is really hard to think of because COVID's been kind of not fun. Um, hopefully in July, my husband and I are planning to go to Europe for a couple of weeks. And the idea of travel was just the most fun thing I could think of right now. So looking forward to that. Same. That is very exciting. I know everyone's itching to get out of the country if they can. So, all right, Scott, go ahead. Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you, Rachel, for hosting this webinar. You and Club Solutions do a great job, and this topic is very timely, um, and I'm honored to be on this panel. Uh, my name is Scott Gillespie. I own a 25,000 square foot uh, uh, multi-purpose and multi-generational and outcomes-based health club in Southern Maine. Had it uh, for about 30 years, we have all the usual suspects of group exercise, small group training, personal training, but we also house a preventative care practice with three registered dietitians and five health coaches. Um, and I have been fortunate enough to serve on the URSA board of directors and currently on the local hospital strategic planning board. Awesome. What's a fun fact? Oh, fun fact. Uh, I gigged my way through high school and college as a drummer in a cover band. Ooh. Awesome. I did not know that. That's a that's hilarious. Very cool. All right, Karen. Okay. Hi, everyone. And um, thank you. I'm so um, happy to be here with everyone. Um, my name is Karen Rich Siegel. I'm the executive director of LifeWorks as Southwest General. So LifeWorks is a hospital-owned fitness facility. We're celebrating our 23rd anniversary this March. So we're all hospital employees, but we are considered a for-profit department of the hospital. Uh, we're in an 84,000 uh, square foot building set aside. Uh, so a fun fact about me is that I started horseback riding English when I was 51 years old. <laughs> oh man, it's never too late to get into a hobby. <laughs> Amazing. All right, Mike, go ahead. Hi, uh, thank you, Rachel. Uh, my name is Mike Feilberg. I'm the CEO and one of the owners of The Edge of Vermont. Uh, we are a five facilities, multi-use facility uh, club. We also have four physical therapy clinics. We have two full-size accredited preschools uh, and then two preventative care clinics uh, in Northern Vermont. Uh, our company was founded in 1966, uh, originally as four tennis courts and then has grown exponentially uh, over the last five plus decades. Um, let's see, my, my fun fact is probably uh, growing up in Vermont, having been skiing since I was little, uh, I'm still incredibly uh, terrible skier compared to all the years I've, I've actually put in, but 
I'll, I'll do my best to get out on a good Saturday. Nice. All right, Jeff, go ahead. All right. Um, thank you, Rachel. Uh, Jeff Duran. I am the corporate director of fitness services for Valley Health Systems. We're a six hospital health system based in Virginia and West Virginia. Um, we service 14 counties and we have six uh, medical fitness facilities, two of which have been certified uh, medical fitness facilities since 2012. I'm also the chairman of the board of directors for the Medical Fitness Association. And a uh, little fun fact, I guess, about me, my first job that I was actually getting a paycheck for was um, I started working in coal mines. I was a coal miner. That's how I started my career. Very wow. cool. Awesome. All right. Well, we have a very experienced panel, as you just heard, uh, especially on this topic of medical fitness. So I'm super excited to get into it. Um, but I really would like to start off first by just defining medical fitness. Um, you know, it can look different at um, whatever facility that you're in. So Rhea, could you share, you know, how do you define medical fitness and what does it look like at um, REFIT? Uh, at the Refit Center, um, like I mentioned, we were the first in Canada to get certified and we've been around uh, as a facility for 40 plus years. Um, so we started as an organization kind of within a hospital and then we've grown to a separate site, um, 80 plus thousand square feet with, you know, like the other panelists mentioned, various exercise programs as well as medical fitness programs. So medical fitness to our center um, the easiest way I could say is we have a connection and a relationship with our healthcare partners. So our primary care providers and other allied health organizations um, and our membership acknowledges that and feels safe and confident coming to our center to know that they'll receive tailored care under whatever kind of umbrella of chronic condition they may have. Yeah. Awesome. Makes sense. Makes sense. Scott, go ahead. How do you define medical fitness and what's it, some examples of it? Yeah, exactly. you're right, Rachel, it has so many meanings in so many different clubs. I think it on a broad scale is it's, it's guiding healthy habit adoption to improve lives. That quite simply oversees so many areas, but whether it is using exercise as an intervention to treat or improve a disease or cure a disease, whether it is um, uh, dietary changes uh, to improve or treat a disease, um, what it looks like in our club is through our health coaches, they will meet with every new member who is willing to do so. We do not require it, um, but we strongly recommend it. And we're at about 60% of new members meeting with health coaches. Um, they do a pretty in-depth Q&A and their goal is to come up with a plan for every new member um, and customize that plan. And we found that health coaches are the best to do that as they are well-versed as opposed to being specialists in any given area. Um, once they integrate someone into a plan, they are responsible to oversee that person's journey for 90 days, doing various checkups and interventions if it's not working and changes. Um, and the registered dietitians play a key role for us because, uh, you know, we think of, uh, of exercise as a wonderful intervention to change your body and become healthier, but it takes a long time to see results. And when we add nutrition to that piece, we find results come much faster and it actually accelerates the motivation for exercise. Um, so there are many permutations of that, but we're, we're very happy with the dietitian model and the health coach model. Yeah. And then you've actually been able to get some insurance reimbursements through your, the registered dietitians, right? Yeah. We, I was going to talk about that later, but it, it, to us, one of the major hurdles is the cost of these services. Um, and yes, we did go through the process of becoming preferred providers from the five major insurance carriers in our area. 
So we are able to bill not only for nutrition direct services one-on-one, -on -one, but also for wellness classes that are led by the dietitians and for many of the assessments that are done by the dietitians. Um, and when you remove that financial burden from the participant, it dramatically improves participation. Yeah, makes sense. Karen, how do you define medical fitness? Okay, so for here at LifeWorks, um, you know, things have changed since COVID. It's not just about the physical aspect. It's also about the mental health aspect of it. So for us, yes, it's about, you know, preventing. It's getting anybody, anybody. So it doesn't mean we don't want to be set up that we're just for the old, you know, someone who's aging. Of course, we have that population. Our average age is 52 here. But it's for the younger person who may be obese, you know, let's face it, obesity is a huge factor. And if we can't help, if we can help them while they're young, oh my God, we are really setting the course really well. So it's about prevention, education, being there um, to help, help um, delay the onset of any further progression. So we do have a rock steady boxing program for Parkinson's. So we do the Parkinson's. We have um, our fitness power program for the breast cancer survivors. And um, so trying to delay any onset of any further issues. And then of course, you know, prevent any diseases as we can. So, and then also the big part is having people enjoy being here and working with our teams because we need to bring that laughter, that joy, that ease, that comfort here, why they're visiting us just to make them feel good for that moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's um, an advantage that a lot of gyms have over, you know, maybe a hospital setting where you're not there because, you know, you're having fun typically. Um, that's something that gyms can definitely, you know, have, have an advantage over. Um, Mike, go ahead. And how do you define medical fitness? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we all take little pieces. Everyone kind of described a little bit about what we do uh, as well. I think for us, it is our way to um, kind of enter, enter into a relationship with the medical, medical community uh, at an entirely different level. Um, it is about intervention. It is about prevention. Uh, it is about bringing people into a healthy environment in which we can have the opportunity to meet them, do a health risk assessment, see where they're at, and actually really put our hand in and guide them to a successful outcome. And collaborating with the medical community has allowed us to do this. It's become uh, much more outcome-based. So when we bring those physician groups and bring the community in, uh, we're speaking on their terms and in their language. Um, so the credibility of the program of the organization uh, goes up exponentially. Uh, but it's really our opportunity to widen uh, who we serve and how we serve them uh, here at the edge through our uh, medical fitness component and preventative care clinics. Yeah, awesome. Jeff, last but not least, how do you define medical fitness? Um, let's see. So uh, yeah, a lot of uh, panelists have kind of mentioned a lot of the, the key components of it. I think the way that it, what it looks like here, what we've tried to create is basically like a cradle to grave um, fitness. So, you know, taking the six month olds into our kids zone, introducing them to exercise, having them, having them see their parents exercise and see that is a part of normal life um, and continuing all the way through our youth programs into young adult programs, into midlife programs and then senior fitness and everything in between. I think that's the unique piece of medical fitness is we that practice medical fitness can take care of everybody from the six month old all the way up to, I think my oldest member is 97 and everybody in between from the sickest of sick to the healthiest of healthy um, and everything in between. I think it's a really a, a key modality of population health. 
That's mm -hmm. how I define medical fitness. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good segue. Cause um, you know, I was going to ask each of you, what is the importance of medical fitness? Um, you know, why is it beneficial for clubs to integrate with the medical community where possible? Jeff, do you want to expand upon that? Yeah, I think it's uh, super important because uh, it provides validity into the fitness industry where, you know, I think what COVID kind of showed us is um, it doesn't matter who you really were, we all got shut down. Um, and it's, you know, based on maybe old stereotypes of what fitness really was. Um, and a lot of the medical fitness facilities are doing incredible things. And so I think the importance of medical fitness and more clubs integrating into that makes the pot of medical fitness bigger and expands that horizon out to the medical community to see that, you know, we are part of that continuum of care, whether we're the front door to the health system or the back door, you know, we see them on the prevention side through the front door or on the back door when they're coming out of cancer or cardiac issue. So, you know, we're the, the front and the back door. And I think it's important we get more clubs involved in it. Yeah, certainly. Rhea, what are your thoughts on, on the importance of medical fitness and, and its value? I think, I mean, I can build on what Jeff said, but I, I definitely agree with COVID. We wanted to establish um, ourselves as more than a fitness center and, and building on that, that we could be that place where people could feel safe and be healthy and strong and fit and potentially avoid illness um, and knowing that they were safe and look, being looked after at our facility was was the best thing we could do and just kind of communicating with the physicians to know that um, they want the best for their patients and we want to be part of that continuum of care so we wanted to be um, in that entrail that when you are prescribing someone a medication we want exercise to be that also that prescription maybe before the medication and you should be part of that conversation at the doctor's office we, we all know, and I think everybody will agree, if the doctor tells one of your members who's 50, 60 plus to do something, they generally kind of nod and say, you have to do it. But if their son, daughter, granddaughter, or you know, gym staff said maybe the same thing, they'd maybe be a little bit more on the fence. We wanted to get that validity and be in that healthcare system, so. Yeah, yeah, um, I think it, you're right. It is important for doctors to be prescribing things like fitness. In Canada, is that commonplace for doctors to prescribe fitness outcomes? I know they just did a thing recently where they're actually prescribing park visits and giving passes to national parks, um, but I don't know if they're doing that for fitness clubs. Yeah, so we have exercise as medicine, and there's exercise medicine Canada and exercise medicine, so it's part of that. So building on that, and then it the biggest thing is getting in to have that conversation to get that thinking. So there's probably um, some physicians who aren't as familiar with using exercise as a modality or, or a health outcome, essentially. And there's others that are on, on board and uh, are, are champions, basically. So we try and kind of connect with those doctors and build from that. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like it's similar to the U.S. where some doctors are a little bit more with it than others. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Scott, what are your uh, thoughts on the importance of medical fitness and its value? Well, uh, you know, you made an earlier comment about the medical community and why should we connect with them? And I think that there, there's dovetailed answers to that. Uh, the medical community is wonderful at treating reactively diseases, injuries, and sicknesses. They are not well-versed at behavioral change and preventative care as we think about it, how to change lifestyles to prevent illness. Um, I, you know, when I was born, the obesity rate in the United States was 10%. We just cracked 42%. So over the course of the past 60 years, 
this country has gotten progressively and progressively more unhealthy, mostly due to behaviors, to lifestyle uh, choices. Um, and you know, think about the volume of people that die each year because of obesity, for example, over 2.8 million people. Well, to put that in perspective, COVID in 2020 took 380,000 um, lives, and in last year it took 450,000 lives. Yet so much attention is being put on one thing, very justifiably so, but I don't think we've done a great job as a country putting emphasis on this massive problem of being unhealthy. I think our industry also needs to grow in the way we help and serve our members. We have, we're very good at helping fit people and motivated stay fit and healthy, but over the past 10 years, we've now sold memberships to roughly 150 million people who have quit our gyms because they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. Um, and so this marriage of the need to improve our community's health um, and the medical community who is great at treating but not good at serving, if we can work together to help improve that, um, I think we are the best people to do this. We're good at behavioral change, although I think we need to get a lot better. Um, but I think the health of the community demands it. And frankly, if no one else does it in this industry, some other industry is going to figure this problem out. Um, and that concerns me dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. All great points. Karen, any, anything that you'd like to add to this topic? I mean, I think Scott made some really good points. Everyone has, I mean, I, I think, you know, we know fitness best. So of course we're going to help like, you know, uh, with the behavior change. Um, and I think we have the ability to say, okay, you can't do this, but Hey, can you do this? Or can you, well, we can direct them much better. I mean, the medical community does not have a handle on that, but I do think we're also in a unique position and this goes for, you don't have to be owned by a hospital or anything. Um, is that doctors too are people and they also gain the weight over COVID. They are also experiencing the stress. They're going through the same things kind of maybe as their patients. And I think that may have opened a few more doors or a few more minds in the medical profession, knowing that they're not healthy enough themselves. You know, this affected all of us at any, you know, any industry across the board. And I think um, for us now to step up and promote those healthier ways of being. And so for, you know, anyone out there who's watching that's not owned by a hospital or anything where that is a little bit more of a focus and you're part of your strategy, you can still go into that and just making people healthier in whatever ways you can. Um, of course, when we're talking about um, like nutrition, sometimes, you know, like there's a great program out there that we use called Bounce Habits. So we don't have to have the registered dietitian. I've had registered dietitians. Um, not as successful as I have with this program because that's how it worked for us. So there are ways to partner, even not even in the medical community, but with other vendors to provide some kind of health enhancement for them. So, I mean, medical fitness can be even more important across the continuum for all of us. We have so many more people to help. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Karen, too, about, you know, you can just look for partnerships to bring some of these programs into your facility. I think a lot of um, gyms, when they think about medical fitness, get a little overwhelmed, think they have to be certified. Um, they have to make all of these, you know, sweeping changes to be medically integrated. Um, but that, you know, isn't necessarily the case. You can start small and grow from there. Uh -huh. Yeah, Mike, anything you'd like to add on just the importance of medical fitness? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone made really great points. I think for us as an industry, we have a huge opportunity. We are, you know, already established important parts of the community uh, everywhere we go. Uh, and we have the ability to scale up uh, 
not only in great numbers, but also much more efficiently and less expensive than a hospital setting or a physician setting. So we really do have a unique opportunity, as, as Scott touched on, and um, to bring the a level of expertise up on uh, our side of things to meet the demands, not only of the medical community, but also um, just where people stand in terms of what their needs are and how we can best serve them. Uh, I think this is something that will only continue to expand uh, as people look for alternatives and, and ways to remain healthy. Uh, you know, again, taking people while they're healthy, as opposed to waiting for them uh, to unfortunately become sick and then try to back our way out of it. I think what everyone's learning is it's uh, much healthier, it's a greater benefit, uh, and certainly less expensive to catch people on the front end, uh, as opposed to on the other end. So um, it's, a, it's a big opportunity, and we, we need to seize it. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of seizing it, my next question is just tips for forming partnerships with the medical community. Um, Rhea, let's start with you. What are some things people should keep in mind if they're interested in going down this, this road? Um, so we have programs that we've partnered with different, uh, organizations. So, um, cancer care, uh, arthritis, our renal programs, those kind of things. So making those partnerships and working with them, because it's, it's those patients don't want to be in the hospital, but we know the importance of exercise. So I would start there. Um, and if you wanted to work with a one-on-one kind of type programs or assessments with physicians or healthcare providers, what we found from our experience is make it simple. Physicians don't want uh, a big handout that they have to read or go through or something really complicated to refer patients or, um, you know, a really challenging process. So we've worked with them to find out what makes life best for you and IE best for your patient. Yeah, great advice. Jeff. Yeah, um, I think one way that you can really help develop that partnership is develop a medical advisory committee. Um, here at Valley Health, we have 17 providers on our uh, advisory committee. And what we do is every year I, I set up a charter, um, define the expectations that I have of them, um, and they, they get a free membership, um, but they have to attend at least two out of the four quarterly meetings. Um, and what I find is that if they're using the facility, they see the value of it. They see the individuals in here, they see how the staff interacts with um, the members, um, and then they hear the operations side of things um, in, in our quarterly meetings. You know, they see the outcomes from our, our medical integration programs of those types of things. They see the safety protocols. They understand all the nuts and the bolts of what we're doing here, and they feel safe sending their patients here. So that's one, one thing I would say for sure. Um, set that up develop that relationship in that regard, and then go visit um, your primary care uh, docs, um, offices, and just sit in there and try to get with the uh, office manager and talk about what, what you're doing. Um, another really great thing is to uh, host a walk with the doc program. Um, we do that uh, two Wednesdays a month here at Valley Health, um, and we have a different doc come in and, and do a different health topic, and they go out for a walk around the pond on, on our health campus. Um, so it's a, it's a great way to kind of partner. It gets them seen, and then it also uh, allows them to see what we're doing. Yeah, I love that. That's very cool. Um, Scott. Uh, so I, I agree with Jeff. The, the concept of a medical advisory board is a wonderful way to gain access to physicians. Many of them truly want to serve, and you probably today already have some doctors as members of your clubs, um, and that is a way to kind of bridge that gap. Um, for me, I, I wanted to also go up the ranks and, and meet with administration. Um, 
I chaired the Chamber of Commerce here locally and would attend all of the business after hours, hoping that some of those execs would show up to them. And when they did, um, I got a chance to talk and sit with the CEO of the local hospital. And that conversation led to what has evolved to be a wonderful friendship, uh, but this level of respect where we bounce ideas off each other, um, talk about how uh, we might be able to partner as an industry, as two different industries really with the same goal. Um, one of the things we've had great success with is sending our members, physicians, outcomes data. So when you are measuring what your people are achieving, and we do blood work, uh, so we can measure cholesterol outcomes, uh, fasting blood glucose levels, along with body comp and blood pressure and weight and circumference and, and heart related um, heart response to exercise. When we send that data to, mem to doctors, many of them say, what drug did you take to get those results? And so it's a way to open the door to tell the doc there is a different way to achieve many of the outcomes that the physicians are trying to achieve. Um, for us, the RDs have opened a door and um, I'll share a story. I was at a cocktail party talking to a physician. We were talking about patient dependence on doctors and I was talking about member dependence on trainers and, and, and um, service people and clubs. And he was saying that he didn't understand that once he would prescribe a medication to someone to lower their cholesterol or give them lower blood pressure, um, they kept wanting to come back to talk about what else they can or should do to improve their health, to which I suggested perhaps that would be an opportunity to talk about lifestyle changes that might relinquish the need for taking the medications. And he sadly replied, huh, never thought about that, which tells me how the medical community is trained. Now that conversation went on. And when I shared with him that we had dietitians and could bill insurance, he said, oh, great. I'll just refer you my patients to the dietitians meaning his thought process was a medical professional was his answer to every problem. A personal trainer is not a medical professional in his eyes, but a dietitian was. So for us, having the dietitians opened up that connection and that credibility. Um, and lastly, when we became a provider and, and were able to bill insurance, that dramatically increased the volume of people who would see us without having to worry about making payments out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting anecdote, Scott. Thanks for sharing that. And then to your point about, you know, the outcomes, um, that's very important when you're talking to the medical community, right? They don't want um, anecdotal data of uh, someone increasing their overall health or lifestyle. They really want to see those specific numbers of something your gym has done to help them overcome. Is that, yeah. you want to speak to that a little bit? So go ahead, go ahead, Scott. Oh, I was just going to add that, you know, data can be used on, a, on, a, on an individual basis. This patient achieved these results for the physician to develop that relationship. But we can also aggregate that data in, in whatever pool we choose based on a program, based on a company, based on another entity or, or group of people we want to put together and use that aggregated data to get even more credibility with medical communities, with professionals and allow corporate corporations to use that to help negotiate better health insurance rates. Yeah. Sure. All right, Mike, um, what are your thoughts on tips for forming partnerships with the medical community? Yeah, all really good points. Again, I mean, I think the, it, the bottom line is, is the proof. You, if you have the proof that this is beneficial to the patients, uh, particularly as Scott noted, um, it's one of the most successful things we do is when people come off of medications and, and quite honest, physicians are, are surprised that they might've been starting something or doing something with their patient for years only to find a program uh, coming out of a health club that has done more for them than the intervention that they've had prior to that. So um, those are the biggest pieces. And, and what's good now as things have 
really changed dramatically on this landscape in the last few years uh, is that we do have a lot of answers to the problems that the medical community has always looked uh, towards us, whether that's a, a credibility issue, uh, how things get paid for, uh, how do we prove that these are successful outcomes uh, and money well spent. Uh, and we have their attention at this point, very, very different, I think, Everyone on this panel would agree compared to where we were five years ago, particularly 10 years ago. So we've managed to, to gather a lot of data, both in people's uh, outcomes, uh, but also financially what the outcomes are. So they're looking at this in many different ways. And I think the medical community, once they do understand what we're doing, uh, will benefit greatly from it in a, in a partnership, in a collaboration where we're working hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that, you know, each of you have probably been having conversations with the medical community over the course of the past 15, 20, maybe more years. Have, have you guys found that those conversations are getting easier um, and that doctors are beginning to, you know, be a little bit more open-minded? Jeff, I see you nodding your head. Yeah, and I think it, a lot of it has to do with what they were saying, with the outcomes, you know, showing those outcomes. Um, and one of the most effective outcomes that we're able to show is uh, average length of stay for our members. So the individuals that they're referring into our medical integration program, we're, we're finding they're staying for an average length of 36 months compared to our normal general population coming in the doors about 24 months. Um, and they, they like to see that. Yeah. All right, Karen, um, did you want to add anything about, you know, tips for forming partnerships? Well, yeah, because I do think, um, you know, if you are, you, you have to start at the, the foundation, you need the staff. I mean, you need the staffing, you need to invest in your staffing to have the certifications um, and credentials behind them. Because you can go to, if you go out to that medical, from my experience, if you go out to that medical community and you don't have anything to back you up behind you, you, you know, you may get that door closed immediately. So you do have to do the homework. You do have to invest in your staff. Um, you know, early on in my career, I started a phase three cardiac rehab. And so I had to get um, advanced cardiac life support certified. I, I mean, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do, but I did that because my medical advisor said, well, they're not even gonna look at you. And I knew there was another cardiac rehab program and fitness center. I was like, like, yeah, you need this behind your name because then they'll know that you're serious and that you know what you're talking about. So I do think you, you know, for anybody out there wanting to start, you know, you're going to start small. You know, it, 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 I work for a, a hospital. I'm a hospital employee and it's tough sometimes, but we are seeing that people, they're ready to, I think, um, recommend us a lot easier. I do know that our programs are getting a lot more referrals coming in. So that's been really good. Also physical therapy offices. You know, that's, that's another place that um, the physical therapists are very much, you know, engaged with their patients and they need some place to send their patients to continue on because they know they got to keep the movement. So that also is something like back in my early career, I worked with physical therapists and I was just a personal trainer. So that, that there is that marriage that possibly could still work where they're done with therapy. They're only going to get so many sessions paid by insurance and you could be there to catch those, that population. And then also um, looking at stress um, reduction programs, you know, you don't need to spend tons of money to have the staff that actually can run a nice stress reduction program. People are so stressed. You can look at our kids, anxieties way up. Um, and then also um, another easy, I think, avenue to get into kind of the medical fitness in a way is massage therapy. Because now you're finding a lot of massage therapists are licensed therapists. 
And whether you bill for that or you don't bill, I mean, it depends on your structure and how much you'll get reimbursed. And if you even have the means to bill for uh, massage therapy, or you just do, you know, um, cash payment, it's a great way because they also bridge that gap between you and physical therapists or physicians, because how many of our um, massage clients come in with a physician prescription so that they can get the sales tax waived. So it's another little avenue too. Yeah. Yeah. All great ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys have each shared some examples of medical fitness offerings or integrations at your facilities, but I'd love to get, you know, any more if you have any. Um, so Ray, let's start with you. Can you share maybe one or two other examples of medical fitness offerings that have been really successful? Um, our cardiac rehab program is probably one of our pillars that we offer. Um, and like I mentioned, we started kind of as that solely that sole program. And so we've partnered. And so we are uh, one program within our city and two sites. So we partner with another medical fitness facility in terms of kind of north-south location. That's probably been one of our most successful. The other one that we've found a lot of success with is we've got moving forward after cancer. So it's a program that um, cancer care kind of approached us and said, similar to what you've all mentioned, our patients are in the hospital receiving treatment. We know it's important that they exercise post-treatment, that they continue this they don't want to be here to do that. We want to go to you guys to do that. And it's like Karen mentioned, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's a, it's a stress relief for them. Um, another successful program that we had is um, our minds in motion. So that was a partnership with the Alzheimer's society. So that was a great program in terms of um, it offered relief for the partners. So the patients were there, they were being uh, exercised, so to speak, there was some cognitive games, there was social involvement, so kind of all the components of health. Um, and the, the partners or the spouses of those individuals had a little bit of reprieve. So they were also able to involve themselves in exercise and, and socialize outside of being the caregiver for that person. So those have been really three positive programs that we've run currently and in the past, and hopefully there'll be new opportunities in the future. Yeah, very cool. Scott, what about you? Any other examples? Uh, yeah, I think Karen mentioned it earlier, uh, Rock Steady Boxing, uh, the Parkinson's program, which is an incredible way to serve a population that needs our services to delay the disease, to release frustration. Um, and, and I think it's a good example of a program that is a specific community within the medical world that um, is uh, like the cancer community they are very close knit. Um, they support each other. And once a program begins to succeed, that community will spread the word about that program. Uh, that's one. Another, um, I think of Silver Sneakers as a medically based program. It really is a preventative exercise program to help seniors uh, lead more productive, less injuries and, and less healthcare need lives. I think with Medicare, fund, Medicaid, Medicare funding it now, um, they have, they truly believe that keeping seniors active is going to decrease healthcare costs down the road. Um, and lastly, our lifestyle program has been so um, successful and many of the participants ask when it's over, can I take it again? Can I take it again? So in lieu of saying, yes, let's repeat the same material again, we've created a graduate program, which really is the next level course to help people continue their journey to wellness. Yeah. Awesome. Mike, can you share some examples? Yeah, I would say the biggest one for us is the the lifestyle classes and, and how that just merges into the rest of the club. And, and it's a wonderful thing because we're seeing people that are attracted to those programs outside of the typical member that we would see come through the door. And, you know, that's certainly one of our goals, all of us, 
is to just try to expand who we serve and, and, and where they come from. Uh, and this has been a wonderful bridge to have people that might have been uh, intimidated about coming to the club, not sure how they would feel to create something where they could come in, feel comfortable, work as a group, be integrated in a club in a much uh, a quieter, more directed sense um, and get comfortable. And by the time that they're through those lifestyle programs and have a chance to be exposed to different parts of the club and also to register dietitians in which very much like a personal trainer, they, they foster a relationship with a registered dietitian as they would a personal trainer. Um, because just like a personal trainer, you know, one or two sessions usually is not nearly enough and it's an ongoing thing. And uh, that's something that we've seen, we've had, we've had great success with the program. Um, but just as important, I think, is the fact that those people stay on in, in large numbers, uh, that they continue uh, either with memberships through the club or with a relationship with a registered dietitian or, or a personal trainer. And, and that's really how we begin to reach uh, that, that 80%, that elusive 80% for all of us uh, and get more people involved and get people to stay, which is, which is just as important. Yeah. Was that a program that you all, you know, made proprietarily or did you partner with someone on that one? We're, we're partnered with Genevix um, and we've been very happy this past 90 day program uh, has been uh, essentially our uh, wheelhouse program in that space. And, and that's been the most successful for us, certainly. Okay. Awesome. Good to know. Karen, um, any other examples of med medical fitness programs or integrations at your facility? You know, I want to just say one thing, like mo like you're hearing on this panel, most medical fitness programs are successful. I mean, because you had the, right? I mean, most of the time, like the rock steady, we have the hip and knee pre-op. Um, we have a cardiac transition for the phase three cardiac rehab coming down, our cancer program, our nutrition program, our strength and balance program. Usually those, we, we dedicate the time, our resources and energy. And for the most part, I think they're usually successful. So, I mean, to anyone listening out there, it, it's, it's going to be a, a good move for yourself. And if you just want an ROI, you'll have an ROI because it's the right thing to do. Um, if you put the you know right staffing, the right time and energy into it, I think, you know, it, like we all have vast programming and they're all like, oh yeah, this is successful. Oh yeah, I could think of this one too. And I think what Scott brought up about the Parkinson's program, yeah, they all interconnect and then they tell their doctors and guess what happens? Then their doctor now knows and they refer other patients because their patient told them the success they're having. So you can't go wrong, you know, but you do need to like, depending where you're at, just start where you're at and take a small step in that right direction because it will pay off. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like they're successful because they're serving a specific need. Yeah. Um, so that could be a good starting point too, is just finding out where there's maybe some gaps that need to be filled in your community and figuring out if there's a way that your club can help, you know, step up and do that. So, all right, Jeff, um, any uh, other examples of medical fitness integrations that you can share? Yeah. Um, we work with a company called Power Wellness Management out of Chicago. They manage about 33 centers. We've been working with them over the past 15 years and developing a program called MyFitRx, which is about 10 different programs from cancer exercise to cardiac exercise and all down the line. The thing that's unique about it is it's, it's $99 a month um, or $99 for eight weeks. Um, the participant is referred by a provider and what they do is they get an intake on the, on the front end with a 
um, what we call the promise survey. So it takes a physical and mental survey. And then at the end of the eight weeks, we do a discharge and that's how we pull our outcomes. Um, what's been so successful from it is that they, they get not only full access to our facility um, for two months for the eight weeks, but they get two supervised visits a week on top of that. So for $99, I mean, it's a total money loser. Um, but where we make our money or return on investment is, as like I was saying, the average length of stay for these individuals is 36 months. And our um, transition rate into membership from this program is about 82%. So it's a fantastic way to get them in. And then if you're thinking about, you know, how much we spend on marketing to get a member in the door, $99 um, for somebody to stay for 36 months, it's a no brainer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had a question from the audience wondering about conversion of referrals from providers and tips to improve, improve conversion rates. So Jeff, do you want to maybe speak to a little bit of why you guys have been so successful converting? Um, well, well, one of the ways, I guess, um, since we are part of the health system, um, our health system uses Epic as their, uh, as their electronic medical record. And we've been able to implement into that medical record um, and Epic so our providers can directly refer to us through EPIC, and then we're able to send back data um, from the discharges, the patients, back to the provider, um, up to about four different sets of data that we can do in 24 months. I say, so that's part of it. And then I think another big piece is, you know, once somebody finishes the, the program, the eight-week program, if they transition into membership, we have them write a thank you card back to the provider. And the providers, um, you know, everybody likes to get a thank you card. And when a provider thinks, you know, man, maybe we did change somebody's life by referring them into this, they speak more highly of the program and refer more people to us. And if the, the provider puts emphasis on it on the front end, it makes it easier for us to, uh, to close the deal when, when we get the referral. Yeah, I love that. I think it goes back to what Karen was saying about um, medical professionals being people too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Rhea, I know um, Refit also um, gets referrals from the medical community. Any tips for increasing conversions? Yeah, so similar to what Jeff said, we use a different medical record, but the same concept that we have automatic referrals that come through that for various programs. Um, I love the idea of a thank you card, Jeff. I might, I might steal that. I think that's brilliant. Um, for us, I think the biggest thing is getting the referral in. And so that's a front end work that we get our staff to do visits, calls, you know, just reaching out to get our name and face out there. Um, and then the other thing, and I'm going to build on what Karen said, is that staffing. So our staff having the accreditations, the certifications, and those relationship building skills. So that skill set to have a conversation with someone that goes beyond, hi, how are you, and make that connection. Um, they, the members feel valued and they don't want to lose that. So they want to stay on, right? And we try and really encourage that. Um, you don't just connect with maybe the one staff during the program, but let's expose them to different things throughout the course of the program. So yeah, that one staff is kind of their go-to and their case manager, if you want to call it that. But I really got to connect with one fitness instructor. They were great. Or I did, um, I went for massage while I was on the program and I really love the massage therapist that works at our center. So we try and integrate them into the whole system throughout the program. So it's just a natural transition into membership once that's done. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, Mike, any advice on um, increasing uh, conversions from physician referrals? 
Yeah, I think, I, I, again, everyone's made really wonderful points, and I, I would agree with absolutely everything. Um, I, I think it, it, because it's outcome-based and they get to see the result, that that tends to be the biggest driver you know, of them all. When you have um, not only how people are feeling and, and how they're telling you they feel better, but actually have the data to back it up uh, in a format and a language and, a, and an accreditation or certification that uh, is on that level makes all the difference in the world. And, and that tends to be the biggest driver. And once they find success with one patient, um, you know, that's their job. They want to see uh, successful, happy patients with successful outcomes. And uh, once they find uh, a spark somewhere, they, they tend to want to come back to it. And uh, that's what we're able to provide. And that's been our, our, uh, biggest avenue for getting referrals, but then converting over certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And then Karen, um, do you guys get physician referrals? I know when we've spoken in the past, you've kind of, even though you guys are owned by a hospital, your thoughts is that you guys could be maybe even more medically integrated, right? Right. Right. And I mean, we do get physician referrals, but you would be surprised that you would think it would just automatically happen. You know, that this would have been easier. I mean, now it's easier. I had to say post-COVID, right? Use those terms. Pre-COVID, it was still tough. It was tough. I mean, even have physicians as members, it was still a little bit hard to get those doors to open. And I think it had to be, um, like everyone's talking about the outcomes and what they're seeing with their patients. When I send someone back to them, they're off certain meds, their cholesterol, because they did this nutrition program in 28 days, they were able to lower this you know, that's amazing stuff. And that really is what's helping, but yes, we'll get the refer. We get physicians that refer and say, you need to go exercise. That's all they say. You just need to go exercise. And so they will, you know, refer us or we see it in physical therapy. We have physical therapy in the, um, in the building. Um, and that too has been a challenge. You think it'd be so simple, but not necessarily because the infrastructure of how the hospital created this this building. Okay. And that, that's really important. Like I think sometimes two people think, oh, because you're hospital owned, you guys are all, we're all the same. It, we can be as far different as, you know, anyone, any other facility is. Um, so it is now, you know, we are starting to get a lot more referrals and I think it's just, everyone's so much more aware of the health benefits and you have to do something to take care of yourself. And like, I think everyone said, you know, these people do stay around. They, they are here. They're, they're more committed because they see not only do they get results, like maybe they lose weight, but it's more about how they feel. And I think that's what they're not willing to give up. They feel stronger. They feel healthier. So they want to keep that going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we are, you know, close to just having about 15 minutes left. So I want to ask, um, you know, a final question before we get to some audience, some questions, if there are any, um, but yeah, what medical fitness trends should club operators be aware of? Where do you all feel medical fitness is headed? Um, Rhea, let's start with you. So the big trends that were announced, I guess, health behavior change or lifestyle change, counseling, that kind of stuff is top and everybody's nodding. So sorry if I stole your one. Um, that's primarily the big focus. And I think coming out of COVID and or being still in COVID, right, dealing with kind of our mental health as well as our physical health. So realizing that those two partner together, that's the biggest thing. And then um, I think another trend that we're just going to have to kind of roll with is people are not in as good shape as they were a few years ago. So we're kind of starting at ground zero for some, or we've had lots of members kind of return and be like, oh, I haven't done anything in six months, half a year. Like I feel, you know, like I'm starting over again. So kind of like a restart type concept, or, you know, there's lots of 
COVID long, long, what are they called? Long haulers programs. So stuff like that. We're now dealing with people with, you know, extending circumstances and symptoms that they have to focus on. So those are some of the trends that we're looking at as well. Yeah. Those are great. Um, Jeff, would you like to weigh in on this one? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, I think medical fitness is the trend. Um, more people were talking about it now than ever before. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is, is COVID has highlighted that, you know, the vast majority of deaths, um, happened in individuals that had four or more comorbidities. Um, so it's really identified the need to, to improve our, our nutrition, our exercise, our lifestyle management. Um, those that, that, uh, you know, we're doing that didn't suffer as much. Um, so I think, I think medical fitness is the trend um, as, as per se. Yeah, for sure. Scott, what about you? Well, I think COVID uncovered a couple of things and created some challenges. You know, it uncovered that we are not perceived by the medical community as essential um, as an industry. And I think this trend of becoming more and more essential by educating the medical community of how essential we are um, is incredibly important. Uh, to dovetail that, we still have members who are told by their physicians, don't go to the health club, it's high risk. And so the, you know, this exercising indoors for many, which was a thesis created back in April of 2020, which at the time was a great thesis, it made sense. But since we all have instituted distancing, HVAC upgrades, sanitation and spacing, um, the vast majority of club operators that I've been talking with have had little to no controlled cases that have been traced back to their facilities. We've had over a quarter million workouts and had zero COVID transmissions. Um, I think that's an important educational piece to tie us back into the medical community. We've already talked about medical advisory boards. Um, we've, I think the health coach piece for me is a trend because the larger your menu of services becomes, the more challenging the process of guiding a referral to the right place. Um, and I think many referrals that come for reason A might actually also benefit from program B, C, and D. And if we have a health coach and we think of them like Apple geniuses that are aware of and integrated with and able to guide people to any of our programs, that process has helped us dramatically find a solution that is customized for each person. Um, and then the follow-up that it's not just a transaction. It's not, here's your iPhone, go set it up on your own, but I'm gonna be with you for a period of time until you've adopted these healthy habits. To me, those are the trends that we need to get better and better at to continue to gain the credibility we need with the medical community to improve the referrals. Yeah, for sure. Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I really agree with Jeff. I, I think medical fitness is, is taking over and I think how we approach it next, I, I think the trend really is gonna settle on, you know, what programs, what level of certifications um, and, and what kind of staffing you have to have to really be uh, in that conversation and be able to work with your medical community, you know, on a level that they're comfortable with. We've seen for years and years, they're obviously not comfortable with the way that we have operated in that we've never had the level of collaboration that we've wanted. I don't think saying that, you know, eating well and getting enough rest and exercising, uh, that's always been a good thing. So why has there been this huge divide between what happens in the hospital or the doctor's office and, and happens with us? So I think the importance for us uh, as an industry and as a trend is to make sure that our level of credentials 
uh, our programming levels, our outcome based on good science, all of these things are going to be important factors as we really begin to accelerate in this space of medical fitness. And um, I think that's really going to separate uh, who sees a real growth in this sector and or not. So I, I see that as being a big one. Yeah. Karen? Well, I, I mean, God, everything's been said, but I, I want to go back to what Scott said about behavior change, because I think, um, you know, this has just started and people are more exhausted than they used to be. Uh, there, there's this like, I feel sometimes that people have like a little dark cloud almost, you know, if you think about a little cartoon, following them around, even though they're smiling and trying that, that there's still something there. So I think we're in here, we're here for the long haul and we have to be even more um, attentive to our membership, um, you know, whether they're in a, a, the medical fitness program or not, because we're going to have to help them get through this and stay the course, because it's going to be so easy to give up on yourself. Like, you know, when you're not feeling good, you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. You know, you just kind of give up. So I think for us, we're going to have to do that for our staff who are helping these people um, really invest the time in them. I, I guess I go back to that. You know, it's our teams. They're out there. Invest more in them because they are going through, they have that little dark cloud, possibly too, even though the sun's getting a little brighter. But, um, you know, we have to, we're in here for the long haul. So the medical fitness is not going away. I think, you know, Jeff and Michael uh, really put that. It, it's here. It's definitely here and it's never going away. So now's the time to start investing in your staff and, and kind of work on your strategic plan that you're going to put out and how you could be part of this world, even if you're not owned by any kind of medical fitness or you don't have a medical medical advisory board. There are ways to do this and there's programs out there to help you. And I think some of these, you know, we mentioned some good programs that you can just start with. So I think building that the trend is here. Jeff was right. It's we are the trend. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back to what you were saying about behavior change management, um, you know, that is something that gyms need to be well-versed in. It's not enough to just get a member in the door. Like you really have to help them um, figure out how to adopt a healthy lifestyle and make changes. Um, and I actually reading a book on this right now that I recommend um, Atomic Habits. I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard about it, but yeah, if you're interested in just behavior management and lifestyle change, that's a great book to start to kind of understand what it really takes to adopt a new habit and to um, stop a bad one. So I'd advise that book. Yeah. Do you guys actually have any other book recommendations that you'd um, recommend to the audience to look into? It doesn't even have to be about medical fitness, just in general. I think a dovetail of Atomic Habits, which I read and is hands down the single best book I've ever read on healthy habit or habit change and understanding the habit loops. Um, Charles Duhigg, who spoke at URSA uh, with us a couple of years ago, wrote The Power of Habit, uh, which is another one that discusses how powerful our habits that we are totally unaware of are to us. Um, and it's a nice it's a nice addition to Atomic Habits. Um, and I, I agree that if we don't get good at this healthy habit adoption piece, um, that we will continue to struggle to serve a large percentage of the population well. Um, you know, one of the one of the folks on the chat, I think it's Bob Stedman asked if we were going using quality of life surveys. And we put so much time and effort talking about weight or cholesterol or blood pressure or the medical outcomes. I'll share that the, the hospital that I um, serve on a board for is seeing greater overwhelming need for their behavioral unit than they are in their COVID units. And that this massive increase in depression um, and, and behavioral challenges that people are experiencing in many cases because of 
the social interventions used to deal with COVID, the isolation, right, is leading to depression, is leading to other things. And many of those things stem from habits. So how can we help people understand the measurement of success is not just my the scale, it's not just the weight I lift or how fast my heart beats or my blood pressure, it's also how I feel. Um, and one of the important components is relating the feelings that exercise gives you, the release of endorphins, the self-confidence, the stress relief um, are the first stages to, to the reinforcement that exercise works. It's a great feedback loop. And if we can shift the emphasis from what the scale says to how I feel about myself, I think we can keep more and more people engaged. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Any other book recommendations before we move on? I just uh, highlight that you know, the Medical Fitness Association does have some resources available to anybody um, on their website and books and, and all of that information as well. Yeah, awesome. All right, we do have yeah, a couple questions from the audience. Um, are any of the panelists offering virtual services through telehealth and um, how are they getting paid? Um, Scott, I think you did that during the pandemic, right? Yeah, we did. Um, so we chose to not bill our members when we were asked to close in a nice friendly way by our governor. Um, and then we instantly had to look for ways to generate revenue. Number one, uh, we started streaming classes for fees. Number two, personal trainers would do Zoom or FaceTime. But we also found quickly that dietitians can do telemedicine. So based Zoom calls can be billed out at exactly the same rate as one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, and I think the medical community is also embracing that that method of delivery of service is a way for them to have better values of perceptions from their customers, their clients and, and patients. Um, so I think telemedicine is not going anywhere. Um, in fact, I think it will continue to grow um, in the way uh, the medical community chooses to um, serve their patients. But I also think we shouldn't let go of it either because there are many people from a comfort perspective, from a transportation ability perspective, either don't or choose not to come to the club. Um, and I think we can serve a population from home, whether it's fitness or, or dietetics uh, to help increase people's wellness. Yeah. Is anyone else offering telehealth services of any kind? Yeah, we are. We are um, uh, much like Scott through the pandemic, we were doing uh, virtual uh, for our RD services and other services prior to the pandemic, uh, just to reach different parts of, of rural Vermont and different parts of the state that we couldn't get to as easily. Um, some companies, uh, mostly companies, but some individuals. So the pivot for us actually happened uh, fairly easy. And we actually found a, believe it or not, a higher show rate uh, for our RDs uh, when it was virtual versus in-person, which is something that we've we've obviously continued with. But um, I agree with Scott, it, it's it's here to stay. We do it um, with physical therapy uh, and we obviously, you know, continue to do it with our registered dietitians. And for some, that is the best method and, and whatever works best is going to get the best results. So we're very happy to keep that going. Yeah. Anyone else? We offered the majority of our services. So we had several shutdowns during COVID. Um, so we had to pivot really quick, whether it was fitness classes or our cardiac rehab program went completely virtual. Um, our coaching appointments are done virtual. Our dietitian still does her appointments virtual. Um, and we're looking at just continuing that, like we said, because a lot of people, even if 
they're comfortable coming to the gym and let's say COVID's kind of not their concern, they're at the cottage for the summer or they take a vacation down somewhere warmer because we're pretty cold up here. Um, so we want them to have that option that they still stay in contact with their personal trainer or the facility as a whole or their coach. So we're going to maintain that as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, we are about out of time. I want to thank each of you for appearing as panelists and sharing your expertise. It was a really awesome discussion. I think um, we gave uh, the audience a lot of food for thought. Um, so thank you all so much. Um, and thanks audience for tuning in. Um, I think this is a topic we'll have to do again later in the year because there's definitely more we can talk about. So thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.